0: Hi, listeners. Every so often, Stephanie and I have an opportunity to talk to some amazing people. This time, both of us were traveling, so we used plain old conference call. So the audio's a little bit weird, but the conversation's amazing. So stick with it. Hi, and welcome back to the Her Exchange podcast. I'm Sonia. This month, we've been talking about entrepreneurs. We've already decided if you are one or not. And how you can make the leap into owning your own business.
1: I'm Stephanie, and we are excited to introduce our very first expert guest to her exchange, Erica Nicole, founder and CEO of YFS Magazine, the definitive digital magazine for startups, small business news, and entrepreneurial culture. Erica is an accomplished entrepreneur, acclaimed entrepreneurship advisor, international speaker, and thought leader. All of that, and I'm blessed to call Erica a friend whom I respect, admire, and absolutely adore. She's the real deal, her exchangers, and there is simply no one better to finish out entrepreneurship month. Welcome, Erica.
2: Ah, uh, thank you, guys. That was an amazing introduction. Thank you so much for having <laughs> me. I'm honored to be with you guys today.
0: We love it. We love it. So let's kick it off with entrepreneurship and how you became an entrepreneur. When did you first know that entrepreneurship and being an entrepreneur was your calling? So that's a great question, Sonia. I think the first time that I really knew entrepreneurship was
2: my calling was actually at a really young age. I, funny enough, started a small business selling bracelets on the school playground as a kid because I didn't feel like my parents were giving me enough allowance, so I decided to strike out (laughs) on my own. Sure enough, I grabbed my mom's string. I made those really cool friendship bracelets that used to be super in style back in the day, right? And Mm -hmm. I started selling them on the playground and I made like one or two dollars per bracelet. So I was set and I said, hey, this is not bad. (laughs) So that was my first like inkling of the idea. Huh, I can work for myself. I can make a
0: product. I can sell it and I can be successful doing it.
1: So did your parents
0: have that spirit? Did they have that entrepreneurship spirit that, you know, sort of fed into it? Because we talked a lot about is an entrepreneur born or made? So did they sort of feed that to you? So
2: I think that's a great question. I think the most important thing from a, from a kid entrepreneurship perspective and dealing with parents um, specifically is that parents, whether they have an entrepreneurship background or not, is really not the key. It's more so of really just, um, I would say, giving your children access to opportunities, fostering and cultivating their ideas, and letting them really take the time to explore their own passions and their own insights. So for me personally, my mother and my father were both integral in terms of saying, hey, you can go out there and you can do this. There's nothing that can stop you. Where there's a will, there's a way. And, you know, quite frankly, can't is not in our vocabulary. So go out and do whatever it is that makes you happy and we support you.
1: It was growing up with such incredible influence where can't isn't in the vocabulary. What about the person that is now an adult listening that thinks, I have a solution to a problem. I want to try this, but can't is all over their vocabulary, right? So from someone as successful as you are and influential in this space, how do we get can't as an adult out of our minds? So as an adult,
2: the best way to get the word can't out of your mind is to stop entertaining limiting thoughts. Uh, You know, that's funny that it's really timely that you mentioned that because we recently wrote a piece. Uh, entitled, 10 Thoughts That Will Keep You From Being a Successful Entrepreneur. And I think that your positive mental at- attitude, your ability to push through negative thoughts, that is a key game changer for an entrepreneur, especially a-, a thriving newbie entrepreneur. So you've really got to change your mental chatter. You've got to be able to talk about yourself through a new light. You've got to see yourself through a new lens. You've got to tell yourself a different story. I really do think that goes way beyond, you know, reciting positive affirmations, you know, to enact real change, you have to commit to habitual change. You have to make mindset adjustments. You also have to really be in a place of gratitude and make decisive thoughts. So how do you make
0: the leap? How do you make the actual leap into becoming an entrepreneur? You're, you're doing all the right things. Everything is lining up for you. How do you actually make the leap from corporate America or even, you know, sort of your day-to-day job to, to being an entrepreneur? What do you recommend?
2: The first thing is to develop a plan, Sonia. I think it's important to kind of pick a, a good inventory of where you're at in your in your career and then tell yourself, be realistic about where you see yourself one to five years down the road. Now, that's kind of an overview, but the tactical steps are taking a look personally at your own finances, seeing exactly how you can replace your income. That's where I first started when I when I said, hey, you know, I want to make a leap from being someone else's employee to starting my own business. So I really had to take a look at my own personal finance, financial situation and then craft a plan to say, okay, I'm going to replace my income and in this amount of time, and we're going to try these various strategies and tactics to get it done. It's something that can be accomplished. I think that one thing entrepreneurs should keep in mind is that don't try to look for this big, big idea, this big picture. Act incrementally. It's important to have that huge vision. Yes, that'll keep you going, but you've got to act incrementally.
1: When you're thinking about whether I have a hobby or whether I have a business, what is the differentiator for you? How do you know? How do our Mm -hmm. people know (laughs) if this is really just, you know, I love to make friendship bracelets, and this is something that I should do while I watch the Great British Baking Show, or that this is something that I should make my living doing?
2: That's a really great question. I think the key differential factor there, Stephanie, is your hobby. In order for it to become a viable business, you have to have a business model. Most importantly, you have to have a revenue model. You have to say, if you are For instance, seeking a a for-profit entity, and for most entrepreneurs that are seeking for-profit, unless you're in the nonprofit space, that's, you know, that's the quick starter there to understand, can this hobby actually support me and my family full-time? So, you know, ensuring your hobby is something that can be turned into a business. You've got to first develop the model. Second, you've got to make sure you have a revenue model in place. And then thirdly, you really have to make sure that your business is starting to validate customers. You've got to have customer validation in there. Your hobby is just a hobby if there's nobody interested in it and there's no real product market fit, which means that there's a market out there willing to pay you hard-earned cash Or whatever you're you're producing or or you're servicing clients for.
0: That's great advice, but to be very honest, I have a journalism degree, so the idea of creating a business plan makes me very scared. So for the listeners who don't have an MBA or they feel like, you know, the the nuts and bolts of business planning is not in their skill set, how do we overcome those limitations? And do you have any tools or resources that help us not have to recreate the wheel?
2: Absolutely. Well, I would first say this, is that there are definitely things for every entrepreneur, Sonia, that are very uncomfortable. But not planning your business is really a non-starter, even if it's a simple plan. I don't think these days that you really need to have, you know, a a 15, 20-page document unless you're really getting ready to sit down and pitch investors or seek out venture capital to raise seed funding. And even with that, you know, these days, most entrepreneurs are putting pitch decks in front of VC firms. So I think one of the most important things you can do is start with the basics. The business plan basics, they don't change. There's core fundamentals throughout a business plan that you have to address. And one of the great benefits of developing a business plan is that it kind of helps identify your blind spots, right? Like you start to learn more about the market and the industry you're getting ready to enter into. So in creating a business plan, there's a lot of amazing tools out there that are available in terms of free business plan, tiplets there are a lot of new business planning software out there on the market that you can take a look at um really there's no need to recreate the wheel there i think for entrepreneurs that are just getting started you know looking at software like live plan business plan pro things like that are really, really helpful for entrepreneurs to get an idea of exactly what is included in a business plan. But the idea is to get those creative juices going, to start thinking about what your business is going to entail and to make you think smarter about your business.
1: Absolutely. I love the idea of thinking about pitfalls. You know, where have you not thought through things? And to get that feedback and to seek experts and to find outsiders who can read, mirror back, ask questions, and challenge your ideas, that's so important because when you're in it, Can only know what you know, right? And everything that you think sounds brilliant. (laughs) Yeah, right. I am a
2: genius.
1: (laughs) That's so true. You know, and it's funny because I think
2: one of the key things that people miss, especially when it comes to planning before launching out on their own business, is the idea that it, it forces you to ask some tough questions of yourself, of your capabilities, of your core competencies. So a business plan really is not for you to have all the answers because you're not going to have all the answers. A business plan is a fluid document. It's a living document that you really ideally should be revisiting every 6 to 12 months because it will change. It will grow. It will evolve, and it will develop as you build your company.
0: So let's go down
1: the road. Someone has decided I actually have a business, not a hobby. I am a year into this. I'm two years. I'm five years into my business. On October 1st, I will be celebrating or I will have celebrated five years in my business. So what are the tough questions, going back to, to, back to your point, what are the tough questions I should be asking myself at this stage to help launch the, the next push, the next growth wave? What... What do I need to be thinking about and asking myself now?
2: What you're saying to me is that I'm an entrepreneur and I'm in the growth stage of my business. Mm
1: -hmm. And
2: for growth stage entrepreneurs, the challenge is very different from per se a seed startup or an idea startup. Um, This is really kind of the second stage of of the life cycle for your business. You've got a lot of challenges there because not only are you facing being established in the market, hopefully you've built a solid brand, but you're also having increased competition um, you also have, you know, sometimes you take a different approach to how you're marketing, depending if you're growing, if you have reached a, a bit of maturity, or if you're plateauing. So really, the, the thing is, is that you have these key benefits, because you understand your market, right? You've been in the game for a while. You also understand exactly what the market is doing, and you have a good idea, or you should have a good idea of your competitive landscape. The key is to really cut back and trim the fat. Sometimes as you're growing your business, you kind of get lost in a lot of unnecessary, superfluous details. I think, you know, sometimes you're just, you're doing systems and processes that really aren't contributing to your bottom line. And you Mm -hmm. kind of get in the grind of doing those things continuously without really realizing that, hey, maybe this is not the best fit for what we need to do. And you also need to key back into your mission statement. Your mission statement is going to guide your business throughout the tops, you know, through the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. So if you're a growth stage company, I definitely recommend checking out your mission statement again, making sure that vision is still the same, right? Because that's going to help guide you from your current situation to your next reality.
0: We talk a lot about how a business owner can get some positive media and some good press, but you've taken a little bit of a different angle by creating media and having people come on as contributors. How did you know that that was the right step for your business model?
2: That's great. So, In terms of developing a media company, I knew that was something that I was passionate about. It really didn't start off as a business idea, funny enough. I had already started a successful business, and this was an opportunity for me to, A, create a creative accountability mechanism, and to, B, give back to the entrepreneurship community. I had really kind of hit a roadblock, so to speak, as in terms of, okay, this is great. I'm earning money, but we need to do more. What can I do more? How can I serve the greater public at large. And I really found that doing that through entrepreneurship, what I had learned as an entrepreneur, uh, was the key next step. So I created YFS Magazine with that in mind to help people have the accessibility to knowledge and to transition that knowledge. And then, you know, it's funny because it started out with just me, and today I'm a, I'm a catalyst to the voice of small business and small business ownership. So I really am excited about giving a voice to a lot of the hardworking entrepreneurs that are out there in this space across the globe.
1: You know, what I'm thinking of is your faith is a part of your brand. I think you have Christian Thought Leader as a part of your bio. So how did you decide first to make that a part of your public brand? And then how do folks that maybe are afraid to step into that space and make it a part of their brand. Do so; they are intertwined in
2: a way. In terms of building a faith-driven business, for me, I think that goes back to your personal brand, and it really starts with where you stand, uh, where you stand in the market, how you see yourself in the market, and, and how you fit there. As you well know, Stephanie, uh, my faith plays an important role in my mm-hmm. personal life. So I think it's you know it shines through in my personal brand, and I think that you have to really kind of key into the audience that you serve. And understand that, you know, you are multidimensional. So when you're specifically building a personal brand, it's okay to share those various dimensions of your personality and of who you are with your audience. That's perfectly okay. It's all going back to the fact it does align with my mission. So. For me, faith-driven business is very important. I believe that knowledge is power. I believe that what I do is really driven by my relationship with Jesus Christ, and I am a Christian. So that's a big part of who I am, and I think that shines through. And for people that are interested in that, they take a look at my personal brand and say, hey, that's pretty cool. I can relate to that. I think there's underlying tones also that kind of will sift through the magazine in that way. It kind of drives and delineates the way we do business, the way we talk about business, the positive and yet selective, optimistic eye of entrepreneurship. I think that that's key as well. I think those values are kind of woven into what we do as a brand publicly in the space. So for people that get it, that's great. They love it. That's fantastic. If they don't, that's fantastic too. But I can definitely say that we're true to our brand. I'm true to my personal brand, and that has really benefited my business. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I love that. You know, I always learn the best by hearing the tragedies and horror stories of other people's failures because I'm a big (laughs) pessimist. (laughs) So I'm wondering if you have any stories that you could share with us of terrible ideas or even, you know, businesses that you started that failed that you can now learn from those bad experiences that helped you succeed in the future. Yeah, I think that's great.
2: I think behind every successful entrepreneur are a lot of unsuccessful ideas, but eventually they struck it, right? Um, For me personally, I started initially, I was like, okay, I'll start something that I'm, you know, interested in. And I started this jewelry company. And, um, you know, it wasn't even that I was creating the jewelry, matter of fact. I was sourcing it and, you know, drop shipping, all that fun stuff. And, you know, it really kind of helped me get my in the water, so to speak, a little bit when it comes to startups. I learned a lot. Funny enough, though, I ordered inventory, and I think I sold one pair of earrings to a friend of mine in college. <laughs> he was an old college friend, and I sold one pair. And I'm like, I'm done with this. This is boring. I'm not. I'm not interested in this at all anymore. And so, while I, had, you know, I'd pitched the business, I'd gotten some international press. It was really great experience because while I knew I wasn't passionate about it, so I course corrected quickly. You know, I looked back and it wasn't a success because hey, I didn't make any money, and I, you know, I had inventory at the end of the day that I had to. Uh, dispose of. So I think that was a, a good learning lesson for me in terms of just also making sure that what you're doing, you have to make sure that you have a really good idea of what you are passionate about. And I know that that's really kind of a catchphrase being used these days, but I think it's very important because if you do not some somewhat feel connected to your brand and to your business, when times get tough, you will not follow through on it. So there has to be more. And so what we connect passion with is that why. Why are you doing what you're doing? Why is mm-hmm. it important to you? You really do need to identify that. So I think that that is the first step. When people talk about it, they talk about that in solidarity when in actuality it's just another piece of a larger puzzle.
0: Who are the
1: people that you learn from? Who are the folks that if we are aspiring entrepreneurs, I mean, your the YFS magazine is littered with brilliant minds so we go there first. And from there, where else are you looking for inspiration and creativity births? Um, who are other people that we should be watching and learning from? That's a great
2: question. So in terms of watching and learning, I think the first step is to really, for an entrepreneur, look within your own industry and look at key players that have done spectacular things there. The idea is not to emulate, but the idea is to kind of understand how they grew their business and what they did along their path. Because if you look at a successful entrepreneur, success always, always, always leaves clues, right? And Mm -hmm. if you start to emulate people in your industry in a certain way, you'll realize that, you know, you're not recreating the wheel and that your problems and your challenges are not just solely your own. They are very common in a specific space. So for me, running a media company that is now global and really just kind of relying on and tapping into some of the insights of my favorite entrepreneurs. I personally love Oprah, Richard Branson. I love what Ariana Huffington has done with her business. And, you know, those are key people that I kind of look at and see, okay, what have they done? How have they scaled their companies? What challenges did they run into? You know, Pete Cashmore of Mashable, he's built really a successful blog that is world-renowned. And so I look to entrepreneurs like that that are definitely much bigger in the space that kind of help inform our strategic path and give us insights into what's next. So my recommendation for an entrepreneur who's saying, hey, what should I, who should I look to for inspiration, that's really going to be independent to you because who inspires you is really uniquely different versus who inspires Sonia. Um, so I would just take the time to really key into those folks and make it, you know, two or three folks that you really admire in your space and then really start to follow them, follow them on social media, take time to look at some of the articles that they write, if they contribute to other publications, what you can find on them in the news media, and just really kind of keep your ear to the ground because you'll learn a lot that way.
1: We should all feel inspired. I love it. Okay, this has been such an engaging conversation. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Uh, This has been an incredible, um, incredible conversation. And Her Exchangers, join us next week for another great month of conversations. Next month we are talking Mean Girls. Thanks for listening, and thank you to our awesome team. We want to shout out our designer and web intern, Casey Campbell.
0: And our podcast editor, Melissa Santoro, who makes us sound so smart. We cannot thank her enough. Remember to check out our website for great tools. And please remember to subscribe not only on our website, but also on your favorite podcasting outlet. Thanks for listening. I'm Sonia. I'm Stephanie.